Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture on Deprogrammed. I am one of your hosts, Carrie Smith, and I'm joined by Mystery Chris. Hello. Hello. Do you want to tell them what you were talking about before the show? Wait, wait, hold on. About my prunes? Yes. (laughs) You guys, Chris comes on and then just starts talking, and all of it is hilarious, and I'm like, stop it. Just be quiet for five minutes and save it. (laughs) I'm really upset about my prunes. There's a prune shortage going on right now. I've been to Walmart, H-E-B, everywhere. They don't have no prunes, so I'm really upset right now. Because all I want to do is just be home, watch my Antiques Roadshow, and eat my prunes. No. I'm a very simple man. No. I don't see. I don't even know if you're joking. <laughs> I love Antiques Roadshow, and I love prunes, too. And you love prunes. <clears throat> I wanted to, uh, before we get started, once again, for anybody who's new, you are watching a new channel. It's called Deprogrammed. You can hit subscribe. We do have all the things. If you want to support, you can share the video. We also have... A subscribe star, a Patreon, and a locals. And we're gonna start doing book club in local soon. So if you want a subscription there and you're already subscribed somewhere else, just hit me up and send me a message there. Um, I did wanna share this because sometimes people ask, let me see if I can do this. Sometimes people ask about you, Chris, and they're like, why is he behind an avatar? Um, it's because this is Chris. Can you see that? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't gone outside in a while, so skin was a little, slightly a little more paler than. This is what he looks like. I'm kidding. (laughs) I thought you would like. Where did you find that? Did you just let? Did that just like pop up your phone when you're surfing, or? No, I looked for uh, uh, ugly white men. ugly i think it's just yeah. he's wearing an ugly sweater they call yeah, it yeah cosby sweater yeah yeah it, it's it's always fun to me when you think about like movies that have characters that are specifically like fat and ugly like they actually that means they had to put out a casting call for people who were fat and ugly and someone saw that casting call and goes hey i'm fat i'm ugly i'll be perfect for this role that's me <laughs> my day has come okay so what else were you telling me about before we started? Before we oh, get yeah. to the topic. Uh, uh, work-related stuff. Uh, so um, oh, tell me if this is work inappropriate or not. So uh, every morning for, for my work, uh, we have to check in for project management stuff. And we do a kind of a roll call. And people just ask ice-breaking questions, you know, like, uh, what, what's your spirit animal? Blah, blah, blah. Stuff like that. And so... When it was my turn to kind of lead the group, I asked a question. I, I go, true or false, never trust a big butt in a smile. And I was kind of shocked at how many people like were kind of confused. They're like, wait, what? Because there's young people, you know, people born within the last 30 years. The song's 30 years old over that. Do, pe- do people know what that song, what song that is? That's from uh, Belle Biv DeVoe, Poison. That girl is poison. Yeah, that song. And so I, I thought uh, uh, it was funny, and I got a lot of people coming up to me saying, hey, that was pretty funny. That was a funny question. It's the best I ever heard. And then I found that today someone reported me to HR. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, 
it had to be like some some uptight woman. It had to be like what self-respecting dude be like? Yeah, I'm a poor dad dude. Talk about big butts and a smile. <laughs> that's that's too much, sir. Sarah, that is too much. Did they did they call you in to reprimand you? What happened? No, no. They just told my boss who told me, and just like, hey, you know, just don't do that again. And I was like, all right. <laughs> did you say? Did you say uh, I'm black? <laughs> I, I i wanted to i mean I, I thought my blackness would have got me further i mean why are you even telling me this i'm black and, and that 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 leads into my second work story i okay. just had uh I, was it uh not implicit bias training but the regular kind of um work diversity equity inclusion training and so uh they went over stuff that you and I and pretty much everyone in our audience already knows, but I thought it was interesting that a lot of the examples of whiteness and white supremacy and stuff were like things from decades old. Like they talked about um, Birth of a Nation, the famous KKK propaganda film, which I watched a few weeks ago and it was fantastic, let me tell you. No, it was it, it it was long. That's my biggest complaint. Not the blackface. It's just too damn long. Three hours of <laughs> you know KKK acting as like superheroes and stuff. But yeah, they they talked about that and talked about other stuff. And it just it, it came off a lot like that um, article we read during when we were doing our Fresh Prince the Bel or the Bel Air review. And how muddled that article, the woman who was putting up that thesis about how, you know, it wasn't black enough or it's like when the title was when representation isn't enough. And she couldn't make a coherent argument. She was all over the place. And it felt very much like this. Like there are times when they were saying that you should essentially stereotype people, but then you shouldn't stereotype people. And it was just, it was, it was all over the place. I just... Was yeah. anybody else seemingly confused by it, or could you tell? Or couldn't tell. Most people were quiet. Uh, I, I, I don't know if people were, you know, uh, agreeing, or maybe some people are like, you know, are against this stuff and just don't want to say it. Because I, I do kind of sense there are a lot more people who are kind of against, you know, social justice and woke and all that other stuff being put in everything these days they're just they're they're just they're not comfortable enough to stepping out and saying i don't i don't like this is i don't this are is they going white? too far are they mostly white mostly yeah that makes sense to me <laughs> mostly white <laughs> a lot of women yeah yeah and, that, and that's, that's the other thing it's like why why are so many women into this oh gosh that's a whole nother episode i know i know yeah but i I, it, I definitely think it appeals more to women than to men. Definitely. Most of the most of the woke, like the very woke couples that I know, for the most part, the the woman brought the husband into woke or brought the boyfriend <laughs> into woke. There's a couple of guys I can think of who are woke who do not have a partner, but they're few and far between. Mm -hmm. Well, it's definitely a female led kind of movement because as we were doing last week when we were going over the gender swaps and racial swaps it's primarily male to female that was primarily the main gender swaps the ones you're seeing in hollywood going right now so to me it's more like the feminist side of social justice that's trying to get non-white men not to band together with white men and go wait a minute 
we're all kind of being pushed out to the side because you know they'll throw us a bone a little bit like oh we got a black male character here and there but for the most part it's just constantly women women heroes protagonists and that's not again i'm not saying that it's bad by itself but i'm saying the way they're doing it by you know putting all these things that are destroying the story or destroying the foundational story of that particular movie or franchise, whatever. That's, that's, that's the main problem. But I, a I lot feel. of women are eating it up. Yeah. Unfortunately, not mm. all, but enough. But, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. So you, uh, what's our topic tonight? I'm kidding. We're, ta- uh, <laughs> we're talking about comedy. So mystery Chris, sent me this clip of Joe Rogan talking to, I think it was Tom Papa, Papa, mm-hmm. about the death of comedy. And I don't know if you guys have seen this. We're not going to play it, but why don't you tell people a little about what the clip was? So this is a clip that surprisingly got, well, I should say surprisingly, a lot of people talking about, you know, people who hate it, Joe Rogan too, because he, he's talking about uh, the death of comedy movies and he, he, he brought up a point that I've been bringing up to a lot of people. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, someone big is talking about this. But uh, he he believed, according to him, that he thinks that wokeness is what has killed comedy movies. And he and, and Tom were trying to uh, discuss, you know, trying to find what the last great comedy movie was. They were having trouble thinking of one. Mm-hmm. And the things they were... I was having trouble thinking of yes. one. Yes. So... Yeah, and to, I, uh, I, Rogan asked him, like, what's the last great comedy movie you saw that was, like, laugh out loud funny, where people went to the theater, they loved it, they told their friends they had to see it. And I think they came up with The Hangover, which is more than 10 years old. The first one, yeah. Yeah, I think Yeah, that. and because I've been saying to people, think about it. You can name classic tons of classic comedy movies from the 70s and 80s like if you say let's go from 1970 to 1995 and then think from 1995 until today like actually try to think of or write down how many classic comedy movies you can think of in in each of those time periods and i'm more than sure that you're going to find a lot more in the first one from 70s to 95 and even of the ones that you find from 95 till now most of those are going to be in the late 90s early 2000s yes because since then they're dying and i i i listen i do think that the, the wokeness stuff has affected it but i don't think that's the main cause or something else going on and so that's why i thought it would be interesting for us to talk about tonight and uh see if we can try to uh figure out uh, give our opinion as to to why we think uh comedy movies have declined in popularity yeah, you and know, quality. You're making me think of, um, oh gosh, they mentioned one. Can you hear that dog? Yes. <laughs> he really wants in the room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> why don't you Why don't you pull up that first article, Cole, that we're going to talk about? And I'm just going to get this doggy. If you want to read this headline for people, I'll be right back. Don't laugh. Movie comedies are disappearing. And this is by the Philadelphia Inquirer. It's Pretty, pretty good article. But yeah, I, I, I'll just say my point to when Carrie gets back. But yeah, most of these movies in the 70s and 80s are movies that you can quote. Like if you are around people at a party and you just spout off things, people go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's from blah, 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 that's blah, blah, blah. But the last big comedy movies, 
I wouldn't say are movies that you know I could think of quotes because I was just saying, Carrie, that most of the classic comedy movies are movies that are quotable. When you yes. think about it, because you know, even like something like say the The Hangover, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a quotable movie. Like there are scenes in it that are memorable, but I can't really think of really quotable dialogue because to me, The Hangover relied on physical comedy and specifically gross out comedy. And I think that's the trend that a lot of these comedy movies have been going in the last few years. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, texting him, uh, and he was telling me how he hasn't watched comedy movies in a long time because there are too many penises in it. And I was thinking, you know, he's right. Because, you know, I've been watching uh, The Righteous Gemstones on HBO, and I like the show, but there are a lot of penises in it. And it almost feels like Hollywood's like tried to make up for like all the gratuitous female nudity in the 80s. Like all the boobs and horror movies and some of the comedies back then. It's like, oh, now now we have to have equity and have male nudity in all these movies. I I guess I just haven't been keeping up with I'm we can get into this, but I'm part of the reason why nobody's watching comedy right now because I don't find a lot of newer comedy that appealing. No. And when we were getting ready for the show tonight and you told me to make my list of top ten comedies they're all old yeah <laughs> I mean, and yep. and even things that you, i i tend to think of as recent like uh you know my housemate my friend mm-hmm. uh she's moved back in uh she was telling me she was talking to these younger people at the tanning salon and she t- and she said something about oh like that woman from there's something about mary and they <laughs> and they all stared at her blankly oh wow and then she looked it up and realized that movie's like 23 years old now yeah it is <laughs> and I, 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 my opinion, I think that's what kind of started the more kind of shock stuff. And I know there was some shock stuff in the, the 80s, but I, I, I think the current crop, or I should say current crop because it's kind of dead now, but I, I think that, you know, the whole shock thing, like everybody, when that movie came out, everybody was talking about the scene where Cameron Diaz puts semen in her hair because mm-hmm. she thinks it's hair gel, and that was a big shocking thing. And I remember watching it back then, I was like, it's eh, a little funny, but not that funny. And then American yeah. Pie came out and, you know, make character have sex with a pie. And I was like, uh. yeah. So it's just, it just kept going. And like, all these jokes rely on, you know, gross out humor. And it's just, it's just not clever and smart. It's not the same as the movies, as you're pointing out, that we quote from the 90s, the 80s, even the 70s. Yep. Um, do you want to read some of this? Actually, oh, thank you, Two Sisters and Some Yarn. Let me see if I can put that on screen. There you go. Oh, Thank super you, lady. Chats. She says, oh, I forgot we can do super chats now. Comedy sucks now because you can't mock anything or anyone. You can mock white dudes, though. Oh, yeah. That's the one category. Yeah. And that because and that's the other thing, like white dudes, specifically like the South. You know, South has been being mocked for a very long time, you know, portraying all Southern white people as, you know, being meth heads or you know, cousin humpers and just Bible thumpers and just like backwards type people. And I, I was kind of surprised because like in the, in the, in the clip that uh, Joe Rogan, where he's talking about movies, he was talking about like, why haven't there been any woke comedies? And that's another thing I've been thinking about too. I mean, maybe there are, but there's just no one cares to look at it. Cause you know, you think that you would have a movie where it's just making fun of just all straight white guys the whole time. But it's not funny. That's the no, no. thing is the woke stuff is not funny. I yeah. mean, I, I think that some 
some woke stand-ups manage to be funny here and there if they're if it's not their primary focus but once it becomes their primary focus spreading the ideology their comedy really suffers right right they just become uh they're just you know what's the word they're like educating you it's like you're sitting in a lecture (laughs) (laughs) um okay so let's read some from this article this one because you're saying that it might have something to do other with with something other than woke I think it does because yeah, I think because it started earlier. So but yeah, go ahead. So this is an article from uh, the Inquirer from 2019. This was before COVID. I'm going to skip the beginning part, but here we go. In December, I saw something that chilled me to my funny bone. When Kevin Hart's Night School opened at number one at the box office, it was the first comedy to do so in more than two years. The Hollywood Reporter recently ran a numbers crunch revealing that comedies last year, so that would be 2018, accounted for an appalling 8% of box office revenue. Now, some of this is a statistical sleight of hand. All superhero movies get dumped in the superhero genre pile, even though Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor are quite clearly comedies. Ditto the Deadpool movies, which exist to satirize superhero movies. And thank God, because it reflects the former American impulse to make fun of the grandiose and the self-important. Woe to any culture that loses the will to make those kind of jokes or the capacity to laugh at them. Even accounting for mislabeled Marvel movies, though, the situation is disturbing. We're seeing fewer comedies and laughing less at the comedies we do see. To get a sense of this decline, let's run things back 20 years to 1998. That's your favorite decade. For, <laughs> for a full year comparison, you'll find a diverse array of comedies in the top 15. There's something about Mary, The Nutty Professor, Rush Hour, You've Got Mail, The Truman Show, Patch Adams. Oh, Patch Adams. <laughs> Even The Waterboy. Way down ballot, you had The Big Lebowski and Rushmore. Did you like those films? Do you remember liking any of those? Um, I saw Waterboy. I didn't care for that. Um, I never, people are going to hate me. I never saw a big Lebowski. I never did. What? I know. I know. That yeah. one's good. Rushmore's good. I mean, Rushmore, there's a lot on this, that, yeah. this list that are good. Um, but he's right. Comedy was huge then. And this is how old this is. He's talking about 98. I was in college. I was working at an independent video store and we had a huge comedy section, but we 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 were not uh, blockbusters, so we didn't have you know they had that thing back then where it's like we guarantee we have a copy of your film, mm-hmm. and they would have hundreds of copies, and we didn't have that. And so I just remember when Patch Adams came out, we only had like two copies, and they were always checked out, and people wow. kind of get get angry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch Patch Adams. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ten years later, 2008, you had hits like Step Brothers, Pineapple Express, and Forgetting Sarah Marshall, part of producer Judd Apatow's hot streak that in the previous year included The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Wedding Crashers, and Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. The year before that, Knocked Up and Superbad. In 2009, that's how old The Hangover is, 2009, The Hangover set an R-rated comedy box office record. Things go in cycles, of course, and that kind of wave won't roll on forever. Talent burns out, partnerships disband. Okay, so it goes on. Um, 
then it says, uh, da, da, da. now they're talking about streaming services. Did you want to read this part or you want me to read this part? Can you go ahead and read that? Yeah. Streaming services have filled the comedy void for better or for worse. Quote, people go to Netflix for comedy and they now think of movie theaters as the place of event movies and blockbusters, said Kamel Nanjani, the comedian. His opinion is backed by evidence. The market share grab now being undertaken by Amazon and Netflix has targeted the mid-budgeted, offbeat trash, I don't know that word, of movies that have been a traditional home to comedy. Studios, meanwhile, have virtually abandoned the sophisticated marketing and careful platform releasing that helped comedies like Back to the Future and now rely on blockbusters that make most of their money opening weekend. This hurts movie comedy in obvious and abstract ways. There's pretty good research to show that we think jokes are funnier when we see others laughing with us, like in a movie theater. Um, there are several other pieces that we pulled up. Cole, can you just put some of the headlines up? Because it seems like there are a lot of articles about this. We don't have to read through all of them because they pretty much say the same thing. This started before COVID. This was started sometime in like the 2000, after 2010. People, part of it was due to streaming services. People prefer to watch comedy. Uh, not that one, but could you put up the uh, Vulture one, Cole? Uh, people prefer to watch the comedies at home for some reason, instead of they don't feel like it's an event or a thing where they need to be in the theater to see it. Do you, do you think, and I'm just thinking out loud, but do you think a lot of comedy shows that, that have moved to the multi-camera, no laugh track type of a show, sitcoms, you think that's had an influence on people's taste in terms of comedy? Because, you know, as Cesaro was talking about, comedies used to be event because part of, you know, enjoying comedy is being in that theater where people are laughing and, you know, people really enjoying that atmosphere. And when other people laugh, you know, you tend to laugh as well. And, you know, it's kind of contagious. And so I don't know if people's taste because they're so used now to off the office style uh, comedies without audience and laugh tracks and stuff. If maybe, you know, they look at movies and, and it may be a way and say it's not really necessary. They don't appreciate the live audience as much as, you know, people in the past used to do. I don't know. That could be some of it. I, I think it's also, um, I think it's also that there's this feeling that it's like it, like this piece said, it's not an event anymore. Mm -hmm. I think it's about the quality of the films because yes. if they're not laugh out loud funny, then why are you going and sitting with other people? I agree. Um, a lot of these pieces, this is the vulture piece, which says some similar things, but it's this, the headline is, will a comedy ever play at a movie theater again? Three writers wonder is 2020, the end of the, uh, the end of the end of laughing out loud at the cinema. And this piece, they interview these different comedy writers and they're all sort of saying the same thing that people get more enjoyment from a comedy film when they're with other people. Like if you watch a movie by yourself, a comedy film at home alone, even if you're streaming it, you might find it funny, but you're not going to laugh as loud maybe as you would if you, you were watching it with friends and family who are laughing right. too, because it's infectious, you know? And, and I think part of this has to do with the, when the quality of the comedy films started suffering, then it's like, well, why would I even go to the theater for that? Yeah. Because and, I'm not and laughing the, as much with everyone. Right. 
and the price of movie tickets too because i know certainly my movie going habits have changed over the last few years when tickets started going more and more and more up because you know when i saw the batman a couple of weeks ago i paid 17 dollars for a ticket <laughs> here in texas wow, and uh you know if it wasn't the batman or or something that i actually like really cared about i i would have just waited especially now that you could have streaming you could have got a gallon of gas with that. I know. But, you know, now with so many movies that even if they open up in the movie theater, will hit streaming, you know, within, you know, 40 days. Like, the Batman's going to be on HBO Max in April already. So, you know, back in the day, when you had to wait a whole year for a movie to come out on VHS, or you had to hope that a cable channel would pick it up and show it or something... Now it's just, if you just wait, you know, a month or so, it'll be on one of the streaming, you know, networks or streaming services. Yeah, they're all going straight there. And some of these pieces talk about even the comedy films that are being headlined by the, the big stars of comedy, you know, like Will Ferrell. Those are going straight to streaming as well. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's not any comedy actor that they can bank on anymore right. to bring people to the theater. I mean, uh, yeah. what's uh, and you the know, last comedy movie you saw in the theater? <laughs> Do you not want to say? No, no, I can't. I honestly can't think of. I can think of tons I've seen. Uh, oh goodness, uh, was it, it? It may have been. This is the end, which Rogan mentioned in his clip. That's the one with Steph Rogan and Jonah Hill. It's where it's the apocalypse movie, mm -hmm. and uh, it was funny. I didn't pay. For, uh, you know, I had a free ticket with a friend. If I didn't have the free ticket, I would have just waited until it came on one of the uh, premium cable channels. So, but that, that came out in 2013, I think. 2012, 2013. Yeah, I can't recall either. I think it's been a while since I've been to the movies anyway. I think the last movie I saw in the theater was Joker, which is a couple <laughs> years, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the last comedy movie I do remember seeing was a, I just looked up the date. It was in 1997. It was Booty oh, Call. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, you paid money for Booty Call? I was with friends. Going to laugh. I was in a very dark place. <laughs> and I remember that because there was a man at the front row with this group of like 13-year-old boys. They were clearly there with a birthday party or something. Were they black? No. Oh. And one of them asks, what's a condom? And we were like, you shouldn't be in this movie. Why are you in this movie? <laughs> That's the only reason I actually remember that one. Yeah. Well, um, we shouldn't pay money remember. for Soul Play. Yeah. Soul Play, no, I did not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been a very long time. I think he's hitting on something. And I think some of it has to do with Woke. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a piece that I sent you, Cole. It's the one that you pulled up by accident a second ago. It's called The Death of Comedy. I think it's an Aereo. And this piece is, I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you got a chance to read this one, Chris. No, I didn't. But this one's interesting, even though it's primarily about stand-up comedy. I think some of this applies to what's happening culturally. So in this piece, I'm going to scroll down to the paragraph, Cole, that starts uh, a comedian in their audience. Now, even though this is about stand-ups, I think we can all extrapolate 
and, and think of this in terms of comedy films, a comedian and their audience aren't like friends in a bar. Their relationship is entirely unique. Comedy relies on its own version of the suspension of disbelief. The audience accepts behavior within the confines of comedy that would be disavowed outside of them. The acceptance only occurs through generosity. We gift the comedian the most generous interpretation of their intentions, and in return, a trust is born that allows us to laugh at the wrong thing in the safety of knowing that everyone knows it's wrong. Without this generosity, we can have no comedy, merely antagonizers, the guilty by association, and the righteous. A world lacking the generosity at the core of comedy is a world in which we seek out the worst interpretation of all that we encounter. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I think that's exactly what's happening. People, and, th and this whole piece is great. I would recommend people read it. Um, it's more interesting to me than the others because it's sort of getting to the heart of maybe what's happening with comedy is people are afraid to offend in comedy, but they don't seem to have, Joe Rogan touched on this in his interview, they don't seem to have the same restrictions in other genres. Like he said, you know, a movie like Psycho, he said a movie like Psycho could still be made and nobody would say, hey, that's, that's glorifying psychotic killers because that, even though that's the subject matter. But if somebody were to make, um, gosh, think of a problematic film today, I don't know, Shallow Hal, <laughs> they would say, oh, you're, it's fat phobia. And, you're make, and even though what this piece is talking about is we know it's wrong, we're allowed to laugh at it being wrong because we all agree it's wrong. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I don't know, I like this piece a lot. Yeah, that's... Listen, okay, one more piece, just because I like this. Comedy is not a science, it's an art. And all art requires bearing a, a sliver of one's soul. The history of comedy commemorates those who were brave enough to withstand the vulnerability of telling an uncomfortable truth, kindly wrapped within the tameness of a joke. That joke is like a fawn, vulnerable, its fate dependent on what the world does with it. The fawn will die without care and protection, easily picked off by predators. In a time of commodified outrage in which offense is capital that can be traded for praise and clicks, the forest of fawns that is comedy has become a hunting ground. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Rock, Chappelle, and other comedians uh, on, their, on their level, you know, I throw in, you know, Larry David as more comedic performer and I stand up. But they, like the article was talking about, were very good about revealing truths, truths that we all kind of know, but they are expressed in a way that makes it more palatable for us to accept or, or makes it, you know, okay for us to, to laugh at and to, you know, go, okay, yeah, that, that, that's kind of true. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like with science fiction. What I love about science fiction is that it can take certain truths and present them in a way that, you know, gets you to think about it in a you know way you hadn't considered before. I think comedy at its best does that. And that's something we're not getting a whole lot from. And certainly the people we're getting it from are, you know, people who've been around for a long time. There's not a lot of up and coming comedians and, you know, writers on on that level, you know, because I was thinking about how many of these big comedy movies that have come out in the past 40, 50 years and just how many of them starred people that were 
got their start on Saturday Night Live or some other show. Like they they got popular and went on to have a long career. You think about Bill uh, Murray and uh, you think about Eddie Murphy yeah. and Adam Sandler. You know all these people who were able to Martin kind of Short. build them. Yeah, Martin Short, Billy Crystal. You know, and you think about the current crop of you know comedic performers even. There's just not a lot of talent that translate, I think, to no. to movies these days. Because they're picking they're picking ideology first. I mean, Siren Live is is putting clearly putting ideology ahead of laughter and ahead mm -hmm. of talent. Look at the people that they fired for being inappropriate, making inappropriate jokes. Who was that guy that made the uh, joke about Asians and Oh guys? yeah, yeah. Um is it Shane? I'm blanking on his last name. Yeah, somebody in chat knows. Um I just want to put a couple of these chats up on screen. Yeah, Christopher Gorey says, Chrissy Mayer is funny. Yes, she yes. is. And <clears throat> she has an album out that hit number one this week, which is awesome. But you're not oh, going to see her on some of the woke lineups. Like I saw Moon Tower Comedy Festival, which is a festival that happens uh, here in Austin every year. I used to, when I worked in comedy, I'd have a lot of comedians who'd come out here and and perform for it. And I just looked at their lineup this year and I have no idea who these people are. And they're probably all woke. I have, but, but you know, I would love to see someone like Chrissy on that lineup. Um, but anyway, this is a plug for her album. It's called, did I tell you this yet, Chris? It's called Live from January 6th. I've heard her talking about it, yeah. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> what a funny title. Like she yeah. just, who else would go there? She just, <laughs> <laughs> um, Teresa's, Eddie Murphy's stand-up is gold. Yeah. Yes. Which did you did you hear back? Uh, I think it was a couple years ago. Eddie kind of semi-apologized for some stuff he, he told in one of his comedy shows back in the eighties because some interviewers talking about how like problematic some of those jokes were, and he was like, "Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I just, you know, it was a different time back then." I was like, "Don't apologize, Eddie. No, stop. Don't, don't give them an inch because they'll take the whole mile." Um. Okay. Did you have anything else you want to say about these articles, or are we going to get to the list? Uh, no, I think I've said, you know, most of it. Like I said, it's... Oh! Go ahead. Well, if you've said it all about the pieces, I do want to show you this one thing. I almost forgot. So I found this. This is very interesting, and if you haven't seen it, I think you will dig it. Cole, can you pull up that chart? I found this chart of box office numbers by genre from 1959 to 2020 let's see oh there it is so it's hard to see but that red line that's up at the top that peaks right there in um 2021 that is action so action films are doing great the blue one that's just underneath it that's adventure so action adventure so the superhero films are all in there those are doing great um, but then if you look down at the bottom, this, this blue line, or it's a green line, this little green line down at the bottom, comedy, it was 3.7% in 2020 of the market share. Then it popped up the next year to 7.9% and then back down to, I think, less than 5%. And look what's doing better, horror. Horror is doing better. Thriller is doing better does that mm. does that surprise you that is surprising you know it's 
it, it, it's especially like in light with the pandemic stuff because I remember right when that started, uh, I think I don't know if Netflix or some of the other streaming services had like uh, Outbreak and Contagion and all these like movies with uh, about pandemics, and I was surprised at, like how popular people wanting to watch that. I was like, why do you want to watch this when you could be living it too? <laughs> Well, it, I don't think it surprises me as much because I remember reading a study a, a, a long time ago about how horror movies tend to do well in times of economic depression or uncertainty or in times of war or otherwise like fearful times. And in fact, some people trace the origin of horror movies back to the Great Depression, to the 20s. You had these big monster movies like Godzilla and King Kong and and Mothra and people were getting into that stuff. And I think part of that might be because people want to escape from the horrors of reality into something that is more manageable that you can conquer. Mm -hmm. Like they do studies of people watching people that enjoy horror films and I enjoy horror film. They, they have this fear. It's not that they're not afraid of horror movies, but they also have this, they anticipate the ending and they anticipate good feelings at the end. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah. So I'm not surprised to see this. I'm actually, I thought horror would be even higher than it was right now, but mm -hmm. you know, there's still time. It's things are going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like people's macabre fascination with, you know, death. It's like one of the reasons why, you know, I and so many other people have been watching all these zombie movies and shows, even though I'm kind of over the zombie craze now, it's kind of stayed too long, but there's always this weird fascination with just, you know, I don't know, it, just with death. It's, but it, it was done in a way that I guess, I don't know, it didn't quite make you comfortable, but you accepted it. And I'm not sure what the psychological roots are of that, but you know, the zombie stuff, which you know was kind of big in the 70s, 80s, died in the 90s, but then was reborn in the early 2000s. It's kind of lasted till now. I mean, Walking Dead is still on. It's supposed to be yeah. the last season, but yeah, there, there's there's something there. So. We should do a whole episode on that. I mean, I would love it. Yeah. Let's just do one on zombie films. Um, G-Man, thank you for the super chat, G-Man. He says, please watch Death to Smoochie if you never have. <laughs> Robin Williams at his best. Have you seen that one? I have. I have to give that another shot because I remember it came out and it, like, it was more of a dark comedy. Not a black comedy, a dark comedy. But I, I, it didn't quite gel with me at the time, but I, I need to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, I never saw that one. Uh, thank you for the suggestion. I'm ta we're taking suggestions tonight for good comedies, by the way. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be a super chat. Uh, Tax Tara says, I recently introduced my kids to Adam Sandler movies. When we watched Wedding Singer, I realized that there is no way there would be a George character today. I love The, we the Wedding Singer, but I haven't seen it in forever. That's yeah. one from the, that same time period, the 90s, that we should revisit. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of what's on your list, I'm curious, is it all 90s films? Uh, not all 90s. So uh, this is my, my top 10 uh, favorite mo comedy movies, no particular order. Uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> I love Pee-wee's Uh The Naked Gun. Uh, Airplane. Not another teen movie, which I actually think is the last great spoof movie because since then they've done like date movie and superhero movies, which basically the entire jokes of these movies are just references. There's like no jet, no, no jokes. 
There was like, I think it was superhero movie. Some guy came in, dressed as Kung Fu Panda, and goes, I'm Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> and it just cuts. Like, that was, yes, it's that bad. So, I, in my opinion, that was the last good one. Uh, what about Bob? What about, about Bob's movie? on my list? Yeah. Two that we have in common. All right. Okay. Uh, Blues Brothers, uh, Hot Fuzz, Harold and Kumar, Galaxy Quest, and Dumb and Dumber. Wow, what a list. Okay, yeah. I'm expanding my list to the top 13. So I, can <laughs> <Okay>. add... <laughs> so I can add Harold and Kumar. Uh, okay, here's my list. Bring Up Baby. I'm not going to hmm. name the ones that we share in common. Bring Up Baby, Three Amigos, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> The Jerk. I have a thing for Steve Martin comedy. Steve Martin, yeah. Yeah, I just... I mean, talk about a box office star. I would pay $17 to go see the jerk <laughs> in a theater with people right now. I grew up a poor black child. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's what you're talking about though. When the you quotes, the quotes. Yeah. I, Think about point, it. Like all, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was saying like with my movies, the majority of those movies are movies that have tons of quotes in. And I can't really think of many for comedy movies that have come out in the past 20 years. Do you, you don't think that's just because we saw those comedies when we were younger in our formative years, and so we remember the quotes more? Or you think it's really... I, it's some, because, but you have to also think about the effect it's had on the larger culture, because it's not just, you know, between I or you or just friends. There are other movies, other TV shows that made references to these comedy movies from the 70s and 80s, and you just don't see that much going on in society now. You know, so much of the, the pop culture that exists now is not really built on, you know, stuff that happened in more recent type uh, movies other than like big blockbuster superhero type movies, but comedy movies, not really. Yeah. Okay. My list is, it uh, continues the golden child. Oh yeah. That devil it, creature scared the crap out of me. I was a kid. It was so badly animated, stop motion animation. Yeah. I just remember when he's in the temple and he, and he raps with the bell. He's like, I, 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 I want the knife. <laughs> <Do you remember>? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, coming to America. Yeah. Obviously, not the, not this new remake. It was oh, no. the original. Uh, Super Troopers. Do you okay. like that one? No. <laughs> no. I've never really been in the Super Troopers. No, no. I saw what they, 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 did, they did two of them. It came out a sequel recently, I think. I did the uh, Slam and Salmon. I saw that. And then uh, was it Club Dread? I think it was the other one. Yeah. See, what does it tell you about the state of comedy? That even if I liked the first one, when I hear that there's a sequel now, I'm like, nah. Well, how many comedy know. movie sequels have been good? Exactly. Certainly not the Dumb and Dumber sequels. Ugh. No. Uh, Overboard from the 80s. You remember Overboard? I haven't seen that one. Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn. Oh. One of my favorite movies. She plays this rich socialite who uh, bumps her head, falls off of her yacht, and has amnesia. And this cabinet maker, Kurt Russell, he had been on her yacht to build her a shoe closet. And she humiliated him because the closet wasn't good enough. And so anyway, he finds her and sees an opportunity to lie to this woman with amnesia and tell her that he's, she's his wife and the mother of his kids, so she'll cook and clean for his <laughs> all of his kids but it sounds i'm not describing it well it's very funny yeah <laughs> it's also lighthearted. 
Um, okay, just one more. Clifford. Do you remember Clifford? Clifford. <laughs> I actually just read an article on the history of Clifford. It's a long article. I have to find it and send it to you. But they, they were talking about the uh, uh, how it was written. And uh, <laughs> I just remember that part where uh, I think Charles Grodin asked uh, Martin Short, you know, like he's acting, he's acting up. But he's like, can you just act like a normal kid for a moment? And Martin Short tries to do this, like, sm he's trying to smile, but he's doing this weird, like, demonic looking yeah that, was, that is one of the funniest most underrated films i'm actually i shouldn't be shocked that you've seen it because you know everything but usually when i mention that movie to people and they haven't seen it it's like, go watch it now because it's, <laughs> it's just hard to yeah martin short for anyone who hasn't seen it <laughs> um martin short plays a little kid like a really annoying kid <laughs> yeah. and the conceit i mean they just they play it straight like Everyone treats him like he's a kid. There's no, like, they hired an adult to play this role. It's kind of funny. Soul Man says two sisters in Seminar. Soul Man. Yeah. That's going to have to be part of your problematic film club. So, yeah. Oh, Uncle Buck. That's going to be in our problematic film club for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. And what's this one? Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. I haven't seen that. Was that was pretty funny. Yeah. I remember that when that movie came out. That was, I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Overboard, Kurt and Goldie. Also Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. That's, I, that's one of my favorite movies, you know, not just comedy movies, just overall one of my favorite movies. Uh, don't, don't, don't mention the sequel. I hate that movie. Like there's so many sequels that are almost on the same level of hatred like Ninja Turtles 3 and Robocop 3 and Alien 3, all threes. <laughs> so, well, I, I hate them almost as much as I hate Blues Brothers 2000. I hate that movie. I don't know what it is with them ruining these these classics. Um, one thing I am optimistic about a little bit, though, is that even though a lot of the comedy seems to be moving to streaming, and I'm not really – I haven't really been a fan of – I can't really think of any great like new comedy film I've seen recently. Mm -hmm. uh, don't look up. Would would that be considered a comedy? Uh, don't look up. I'm trying to remember which one was that one. It's the one with the asteroid that's heading to Earth. Leonardo DiCaprio's in it. Oh, I didn't see that. It one. was very recent. I don't know if that's considered a comedy or not. <laughs> it's one of those that kind of straddles the line. But I mm -hmm. like that movie. But otherwise, I haven't really seen a lot of comedy films that I think are great. But there have been some comedy series that are pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that's one place where, I, and I'm not really sure what that's about. If people are more inclined to sit at home and watch something that's long form, but why is the writing so much better for TV format? Do you? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't know. I think that's maybe where a lot of writers are are going. Maybe it's just a little more long term. Uh, career thing in terms of you know you're being hired for an entire season to to write or for several episodes within the season because you know I, I think with uh, so many of these uh, shows coming out I think you're seeing a lot of good writers for certain shows but there's so many shows right now that you're seeing a lot of people who are not great writers because you gotta think about it you know we went from reality TV shows being dominant in the early 2000s to you know, once AMC got hot with Madman and with The Walking Dead, all these cable companies wanted their own 
one hour drama show that are going to be everyone's going to be talking about. Then Netflix gets hot with their shows like Stranger Things, and now all these other companies want to spin off and have their own streaming services and have their own shows that everyone talks about. And so there are a lot of good writers for a number of these shows, but I think there's just so many. There's so much, um, too many shows out there. You know, the, I think it's uh, showing the the lack of talent, and certainly, you know, kids going to school these days being taught how to find racism and sexism in old literature and, and old things. You know, hell, even old comedy like we're talking now. Yeah. I think that prevents a lot of writers from uh, really honing their craft and writing things that people connect with. Well, think about how many of the movies in the '80s they would have an issue with now, even though they starred people like Eddie Murphy. I mean, mm -hmm. they would probably take issue with Trading Places with, with him yeah. and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Um, well, this one doesn't, this one stars, stars Steve Martin, but that is a, the jerk is a hilarious film. <laughs> and that scene that you referenced where, you know, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> they would probably have a lot of problem with that. Although it's, it's hilarious. He's sitting there. I remember the scene where he's on the porch and he's sitting with this black family who raised him and he thinks he's black, but he doesn't have any rhythm mm -hmm. and they're all playing instruments and playing. And he's like, like just off the beat completely. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that was back when we were allowed to stereotype. We could make comedies based on stereotypes. It was funny. I mean, the Simpsons, I mean, Simpsons had a lot of stereotypes in it. That was, it was funny, but now you can't do that. The problem with a poo and all these other things. It's like, there's a difference between making fun of someone in a very malicious way versus, you know, having a, you know, a little you know, fun at someone's expense, you know, no, you know, friendly kind of jabbing way. And I think audiences in the past were a, a lot more attuned to that because, you know, a lot of black comedians would do typical white people do this, black people do this type of jokes. And, you know, some white people say, you know, oh, you know, a white comedian couldn't get away if they did the reversal on. Back in the day, I, they could. I remember seeing lots of jokes by George Carlin and Robin Williams and Artie Lang that would make jokes about black people. And they would always point out how in the audience, the black people would be laughing the hardest. And I'd be at home laughing my ass off. And like the white people in the audience would be looking at each other like, is it okay to laugh? Because they were so afraid <laughs> to laugh at him. But it, it was something that you know was very obvious when someone was just having fun versus something malicious but that's gone that nuance is completely gone people don't want to to be charitable in their interpretations hence why you have people going after you know dave Chappelle, you know mm -hmm. for you know going after trans or whatever according to them so part of this i can explain the woke part of they have rules, of course, in comedy, and I'm sure people watch this show have heard some of these before. One of them that became very popular when I was working in comedy is they say you're, that you shouldn't punch up. You have to punch down. And that's become so ubiquitous. You'll see it in articles like some of the ones that are talking about comedy and wokeness. And, and everyone says that like it's some fact, first of all, that, that you must do this. Well, I don't even agree with that. But if you did agree with it, they don't they have their directions wrong hmm. they they don't even understand what up is and what down is because they're basing their their up and down they're basing that on what marginalized group you're in they're basing right. it on the privilege stack so they will say dave Chappelle making a joke about a trans person is punching down right they make yeah. that calculation somehow and it doesn't matter it could be if you made a joke about Oprah Winfrey, 
and she's one of the most powerful women in the world, right? They would say you're punching down. Why? Because she's a woman and she's black. It doesn't matter who she is as an individual. And, and well, you know, not just that, but I think self-deprecation has been lost in comedy as well, where a lot of people won't make fun of themselves. And I don't know if that's a because of a low sense of self-worth for a lot of people that they they don't want to make fun of themselves or, or a group they're in and just have fun. Uh, I don't know if they feel they're going to be crucified by other people, but you would think that they'd be allowed to make fun of themselves at least. You would think. But no. No, that's it's kind of now instead of self-deprecation, they do uh, kind of like Hannah Gatsby. They do this um, vulnerability on stage. It's almost more like a one man or one woman show mm -hmm. instead of a instead of a comedy show where they're talking suddenly very seriously about all the isms that they face in life. And you're like, uh, I didn't know I was coming to a one woman show. I thought it was like comedy. You're right. Lissa Case says, can you imagine Blazing Saddles being made today? Nope. <laughs> it's funny uh, about Blazing Saddles. Uh, back when I was in school, we were putting together a uh, website for our senior show. And uh, I, they were asking everyone for a quote in the class. And the guy kept asking me, it was really annoying me. And I was like, I kept pushing him off, pushing him off. And then finally he asked me and I was so fed up. I just gave him a quote. I go, uh, okay, uh, how about um, Sheriff Bart? Where are all the white women? Where are the white women at? And I didn't think he was going to put it on the actual website. <laughs> and, <laughs> and come like the website going live, there it is, Chris, you know, Sheriff Bart, where, where are the white women at? Yes, like, but what year was this? Uh, this was years, way before the socialist stuff. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't do that now. It would be like what happened to you at work. <laughs> <laughs> You'd get reported. That in the yearbook. I know, I know. Oh, uh, that man. reporting thing still gets on me. It reminded me of uh, uh, on Star Trek Discovery, they had a writer named uh, Walter Mosley, who's half black, half Jewish. And behind the scenes, he was uh, recounting a story about himself and you know issues he's had with racism and he says the n-word actual word and someone ended up reporting him to the hr of <laughs> of his company that was making the show he's a black man or half black at least and he's not even allowed to say it because some person most presumably i think it was all white people in 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 the writer's room was so uncomfortable that they decided to report him to their hr and he ended up quitting because of that and i was like I kind of appreciate that at least they're consistent. <laughs> yeah. Because usually what they do is say, you can't say the word unless you're black. Yeah. So at least they're consistent. Well, you know, you can't say it in the right of either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is for you, Matt Deckard. I can get three camels for a good white woman <laughs> in some countries. <laughs> the sheriff is neat. Sheriff's near. Sheriff's near. Oh my goodness! Look at this. Bungalow Logic says before the coup, I did a couple of open mics in Chicago. There were quote gender inclusive shows and mics listed. A safe space for all, except for comedy. Yeah, that's the death of comedy. Uh, I'm also in. I'm still in a some Facebook groups that relate to my old job um, in comedy. One of the ones I'm in is a group where where women in the comedy industry report comedians and comedy clubs 
and managers and agents yeah. and stuff who they think are sexist <laughs> and try and get them fired. It's literally a cancellation wow. group in the comedy how, world. How successful have they been? They've been pretty successful with some nah. things. They, they do what a lot of social justice people do. You know, they yeah. have this private group. They form mobs. They get petitions. They call places. And they just kind of gin up that outrage. But yeah. that's, that's become a part of the culture. So we titled this The Death of Comedy. But what's your prognosis for comedy? And then I'll tell you mine. I, I, I think there's a segment of people, you know, people in our generation and even young people whose natural inclination is kind of go against the grain. And I do think, you know, particularly with the Internet, the Internet is the wild, wild west of it. And I think the more they try to sanitize comedy, I think the more it will push certain people to wanting to be more edgy in their comedy. And I, I guess the big thing is, you know, in terms of shows and m movies and stuff, will we see comedy in the way we saw it back in the day? And I... I think we will, because everything's cyclical, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, the quote, uh, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And so I do think we'll, we'll see a um, rebirth of sort, you know, of, of comedy. It may not be in the exact same way, but I, I do think it'll happen because, you know, everything's a cycle. Yeah, I think there's got to be some parallel there to that, that meme about how hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create uh, weak men, weak men create bad times. You could do that with comedy, I think, where I've got to figure, think about it a little more, but basically I think if you're living through a time where everything is suddenly taboo and everything's being censored, mm -hmm. and that's an awful time to be in, but you know what, it's going to make better comedians. Yeah. And, and like we're... Better comedy is going to come out of it, and then we're going to hit... We're going to hit that same cycle where we've got a great time, like the 90s, mm -hmm. where everybody can just take laughs at everyone's expense, equal opportunity offenders, you know. Then out of that, we'll probably go through another time like this. Yeah. And like we were saying earlier, you know, there's still truth to be expressed. And for the people who are super social justice -y and woke, what truth is there for that comedy to express is why it fails. And I think there's always going to be people who respond to the truth. And so it's just a matter of what that size is at any given time. Honestly, what they're doing is they're putting new life into old jokes that had gotten really tired that weren't funny. Like, <laughs> I remember I was never, I mean, I was a big social justice feminist then, but I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, what a misogynist, you know. And now I wonder if I heard some of those jokes delivered, maybe by someone else or something, I would might find them funny now because they're <laughs> Probably. so taboo, yeah. you know? It's amazing how much uh, uh, controversy was over that. I, I just recently finished a uh, book on SNL, which a uh, future episode of Pop Culture, we will dive into SNL, various uh, various things with SNL. But uh, I... I read about specifically with uh, some of the people who were part of the cast in the late 80s, like Nora Dunn, who was like very, you know, ultra feminist and how she actually, uh, she she didn't quit, but she chose not to be part of the show the week that Andrew Dice Clay hosted. 
and it was like super controversial. Everyone was talking about it. People going, I couldn't believe that writer's stuff. But when you look at a lot of the stuff he did, it's really tame according to the what comedy was, you know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember Anthony Jeselnik making rape jokes and I don't recall a lot of, you know, uproar over that. You know, the the only uproar I can really think about comedy last couple of years is when, you know, people made certain comments that were racially sensitive or people said it racist, like Sarah Silverman. I mean, she got in trouble for making some joke about Asian people. I forget what the joke was. And I think that's when, when her, her downfall began because she was a lot more edgier before that happened. You probably don't know this, but in my old life, I was producing totally biased with W. Kamal Bell and FX. Mm -hmm. We had her on as a guest to basically do sort of an apology tour. She was interviewed by him about how inappropriate and racist that joke was. Oh wow! Yeah, and it was sort of, it was one of those come to Jesus moment, come to social justice Jesus, <laughs> where the comedian is confessing their sins that they didn't they weren't aware that that was racist. And looking back on that, I'm, I, it's so cringe. <laughs> it's so sad to see what's happened to them. I remember her show; she put on blackface. Not just brown face. I'm talking about actual blackface on her show. Yeah. And, you know, I remember Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla on the man show, you know, show that couldn't get away with today. But, you know, they did a segment where they did a kind of Mark Dice kind of thing where they went on the street asking people uh, things. They were trying to get people to sign to a, a petition to repeal the 19th. But didn't tell them what the night teeth. So they're going up to women <laughs> and doing that. And all these women are like, yeah, yeah, I'll, let's repeal that. And it was really hilarious. But, you know, now Jimmy Kimmel wouldn't do that nowadays. It's just. Is that the one where they were saying end women's suffrage? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when they were like, women are suffraging? Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and his favorite was Carmelo. I love the Carmelo. He put on brown face. He wasn't a black face, brown face, but he was doing Carmelo. You know, almost talking like a escaped slave. Just yell calm alone. It yeah, was hilarious. I was never a fan of the man show. I mean, really? Because I was a woke feminist. <laughs> I hated those guys. And I don't yeah, actually know if I ever even watched a full episode. I just knew oh. you know, when you're in that cult that you hate them, you know? Yeah. But what I find really funny is how woke he is today, given yeah. that past. The blackface past, the girls bouncing on trampolines past, you know, all of that. It, like, those people. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, even Stephen Colbert, I loved Stephen Colbert back in the day, particularly when it's on Strangers of Candy, which is one of my all-time favorite shows. There's a whole episode where they talk about people who are. I'm using this word because they use it in a show. Don't cancel me, but they said retarded, and they're talking about retarded people. They had a whole joke about that. There was a whole song that Stephen Colbert sings about that and he gives his advice about uh jerry blake not uh shouldn't look retarded people in the eye because they have the strength <laughs> of gorillas <laughs> it was like holy crap like wow and look how woke he is now i know completely uh, sold out became a tool of the system hey well Amazing. along those lines look lissa k says remember when howard stern was edgy and completely politically incorrect he did a whole uh, segment you can find it on youtube of uh, him in blackface with sherman hemsley I think she could be, yeah. And he's he's straight up talking like a escape slave. Well, oh, well, you know, I talk like this. You know, I was, I was a escape slave. And he says the N-word a lot in that video. But now he's like, oh, all these anti-vaxxers got to be punished. It's like, you're not relevant anymore, Howard Stern. 
No they, one cares about you. It's like they do. They have this conversion. They come to social justice, Jesus. All of their non-woke sins are forgiven, you know, and they have to continue then tap dancing for the woke and making apologies whenever it's required. Tweet Girl says censorship created many good comedians. Look at Lenny Bruce. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, isn't it funny that it's the woke who are trying to cancel Lenny Bruce now? There were some, some <laughs> are they now? That were, yes, they were showing a documentary about Lenny, Lenny Bruce, and a lot of woke students were protesting and trying to get the movie canceled. He's dead. <laughs> I know it doesn't matter, but it's just like... Yeah. They probably uh, had no idea who he was even prior to this. Uh, people told him, be upset about this. Like, okay. Okay. G-Man says, The Birdcage. That is a really funny movie. That's true. Oh, but again, again, isn't that cage, 90s? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't do, you know, straight man are not allowed to do impressions of gay men anymore. Can't do that anymore. I was thinking when we were talking about Beverly Hills Cop, you know, the whole segment uh, where uh, Eddie Murphy, I think it's Eddie Murphy, or was he mimicking uh, Brosnan Pinchot? He was doing a gay, impression of a gay man. Do you apologize for that? I, I don't probably, I don't know, but. Tara says she thought the man show was funny. Well, that means maybe I'll have to watch an episode and see. You have to watch it and give it a review. Like, yeah. I don't get to have an opinion because I never actually watched it. <laughs> and then this is true. Look at this. Alan Scott says Joe Rogan replaced Howard Stern. Didn't he, though? In terms of popularity, yeah. In terms of popularity and saying – he's not even saying things controversial, but the way the, the media is reacting to it and people are reacting to it, they think mm-hmm. it's controversial. So. Well, just like what you know, we were talking about the clip earlier, and I was looking. At, I had a hard time finding the clip for some reason, but I found numerous articles talking about it, and some of them were for the big publications. And there was one I forget what what site it was, but they were talking about him, and it, you know he's complaining about woke, whatever that is, and you know they're saying all this other stuff. And at the very end of the article, they go, "Well, at least he's talking about something other than telling people not to get vaccinated." I was like, "When did he say that? When, when did he say that?" They, they just listen. lie. They don't They don't care. listen to him. It's like me with the man show back then. I knew I hated it, but I didn't watch it. So how did I know that? But it's like people, they just, they, 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 their information, so much of this information, and we'll talk about this on a future episode, but so much of people's worldview, particularly young people's being informed by comedy shows. It's one of the things why I can't look at Saturday Night Live and a lot of these other shows in, I don't know, I can't be as... I don't want to say objective, but I can't think of another word, but I, I can't approach it in the same way because I, I see how their you know, skits and talking points have influenced a number of people. Like if it was just this and nothing else, then go, okay, whatever. Maybe it's just the mm-hmm. one-liner thing. But when I see them do like um, when Pete Davison played uh, Joe Rogan, did you ever see that clip? Oh, and they were no. talking about the I word. I don't oh. even know you could say the I word on, on YouTube anymore. It's always changing. But yeah, they were saying it was horse medicine. And it's just like so many people are just tuning into that. They're tuning into, you know, Colbert and all the other late night talk show hosts, which are pretty much the same, same talking points. And that's what's informing their world of you. They take that as gospel, as as truth. You know, a lie repeated enough times becomes truth. And that's that's one of the things that makes it hard for me to watch a lot of this stuff. I can't separate, you know, what's going on from from just the joke, you know. Even if the joke it has maybe some truth to it or is kind of funny, because I, I just I know how it's the show and these jokes are being served in this larger culture war taking place. Yeah. Well, so 
Well, let's end, let's end on a positive note. What's some fun comedy series or film that you're either watching or looking forward to? Uh, I, I watched a little bit of What We Do in the Shadows, the series. I still have to watch the movie. But the, the series is pretty funny. Yeah, the, the series on FX. And I think it's on the third or maybe fourth season. And I want to watch more of it. I was watching some friends a little while back. And it's pretty good. I liked it. I'm going to put up this super chat. Thank you, Alan Scott. He says, a lot of old comedies like Blazing Saddles mock racist. While not woke, they have the same message in the end. That's not good enough, Alan Scott. <laughs> it's not enough to be not racist. You must be actively anti-racist. <laughs> it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be woke. That's exactly what they would say. Uh, okay, so my the one I like is Cobra Kai. Oh, yeah. Have, have you watched it? I have. Everyone I've talked to has said positive things about it. Okay, it's good. It's pretty good. And I keep waiting for each time as, as a season comes out. You know, you're sort of sitting there like, oh, gosh, I wonder if it got woke. <laughs> Don't you hate that feeling? Yeah. <laughs> that dread in between seasons? Yeah. And thankfully, not yet. It's still just genuinely good. And you can tell the creators have a love and a nostalgia for 80s comedies. Mm -hmm. And they it really carries over to the series. And, and the, the yes, there's some parts in the second season where it gets a little bit kind of cheesy, like a high school after school special and that, but, but it's still, it's still better. Leaps and bounds better than almost every other comedy series I've seen on TV. Are so, they on, it's on the fifth season, right? Is it? I think it's just a third. No. I'm bad with numbers, but good, <laughs> but good with math. Carrie's so. <laughs> right. secretly Asian. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys for tuning in. We just had fun hanging out, talking about the death of comedy. If you're new to the channel, this is a new channel, please give a thank you to Cole in the chat, who is our producer. It is his birthday week, if you want to wish him yeah, a happy yeah, birthday. Yeah. We didn't do it last time, we forgot. So we wish him a happy birthday. And uh, what else? We have tomorrow deprogrammed, 6 o'clock Texas time. I'm going to be talking with a marriage and family therapist, Jake Whiskerchin, what a great last name, <laughs> Whiskerchin. Uh, we're going to be talking about the psychology of woke. I'm really interested in talking with this guy. So if you're around, that'll be at six o'clock. And then on Friday, we're doing the live show, which is currently called Kerfeffy Break <laughs> until we have a new name. We have a contest going on. If you didn't know, uh, one of our friends, Greg Wilson, he makes handmade knives and we have a contest where you can drop in the comments on this video or the last one, drop a name suggestion for the live show. And if we choose that one, we're going to send you a knife. And if you're in New Zealand, we'll smuggle it in somehow. <laughs> in a birthday cake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you're in New Zealand, we'll send you a spoon. <laughs> well, I see you played knifey spoon before. <laughs> Oh, speaking of, that's a great quote from Crocodile Dundee. The knife quote. I can't do accents. Can you do it? Oh, I was doing from the uh, the Simpsons when they're making fun of Crocodile Dundee. Right. But, that's not a knife. This is a knife. No, it's not. That's a spoon. Oh, so you played knife and spoon before. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to go out on that. How's that? <laughs> uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and do the things. Okay. We're going out. Bye. Bye, Bye Chris. Bye, guys. Bye.